You're listening to Man Meat Barbecue, the podcast, with your host, Mikey K. Our sponsors are Manbecue and Myron Mix and Smokers. If you don't know who Manbecue is, you better check it out. They're one of the coolest things in barbecue around. We do a meetup on the last Thursday of every single month. Let us take over your backyard. Let's see how much fun we can have. Looking for a new cooker? Look no further than the American-made Myron Mix and Smokers. Maybe you're a backyard enthusiast. Maybe you're a restaurant owner. Maybe you're looking to get into the catering game. They can accommodate it all. So make sure you go over to MyronMixAndSmokers.com and check out your next rig. And when you email them, tell them Mikey from Man Meat Barbecue sent you. So let's not waste any more time and let's get into this fucking podcast. We're, we're heading to Nashville today um, with, uh, it's Porter Road Butchers. And I know it, it's, it's at Porter Road on Instagram. They, they are a amazing deliver to your door butcher shop. I guess I, I don't want to say butcher shop because when you think shop, you're like, oh, I'm going to go into a shop. But it, it is still that it's like the it's the modern version of a shop. So, guys, we are hanging out with James, the head butcher. Um, the guy is he's pas- passionate about meat and we're going to we're going to chat. We're going to have a really fun chat about me. So I hope you guys are all excited along for the ride. Uh, James, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Any excuse to nerd out talking about me, I always love to take the opportunity. So uh, like you said, Porter Road is the world's uh, first true online butcher shop. So like you said, it's a butcher shop, but modern one. So it's actually on everybody's computer. So we are available for anyone in the Continental 48, delivering this beautiful hand-cut, dry-aged, pasture-raised, cut-with-love meat directly to your front door fresh. So it's something that's super unique. Our uh, packaging is 100% recyclable and biodegradable. So we want you to order as often as possible so that way it's fresh, keep everything wonderful, and... uh, these amazing, unique cuts that most people just can't get, but we are a completely vertically integrated company, so we can offer cuts and different things that most people can't find across the country. So now, what made you guys kind of start this? Where did you, like, where was, like, you were like, you know what? Yeah, we got to do this. So me and my business partner met about eight years ago in a kitchen in Nashville, Tennessee. We instantly hit it off. He um, had some of that Southern charm and that true Southern hospitality and helped me out when I was in a pinch. And instantly we became immediate best friends. And we decided within about three months of each other, of knowing each other, that we were going to open a business together. And about a half a year after that, Porter Road Butcher was started and we would butcher one hog every week break it all the way down that we picked up from the slaughterhouse and then sell it at a local farmer's market in East Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. And we came up with this idea because cooking and living in Nashville, we're surrounded by this wonderful farmland, all of these great farms around us producing this wonderful products, but you couldn't get any of it fresh. You couldn't get any of it custom cut. It all came frozen from slaughterhouses that, didn't either have the knowledge or the care to get it done correctly. So me and my business partner, Chris, decided we were going to do something about it. And 
it set us down this path, which seven years ago, we opened our uh, brick and mortar butcher shop in East Nashville that's still there today. And we started out the shop just like we did at the farmer's market to where we had one beef a week. We upped it to two hogs and a lamb. And then it just kind of snowballed. The people of Nashville welcomed us with open arms and open mouths and decided that they were going to help us and wanted more and more and more. And we thought we were opening a lifestyle business. We were going to be the only employees in the shop. We were going to work seven days a week. And it was going to be hanging out with friends and having fun. Um, The city decided otherwise. And what we did was started feeding more. By the end of the first year, we had 20 employees. And we had family and friends that would move away or be jealous that they couldn't get the cuts. So last February, we actually paired with um, some great friends and some great partners, and we launched online. So we we launched the world's first true online butcher shop, porterroad.com, to give you that same experience, to give you that same expertise, and guide you through these cuts, um, give you cooking suggestions, give you recipes, give people an opportunity on our social media to kind of nerd out with meat and share and explore the passion of meat that we have at Porter Road. And... On the website, we were able to hit more people, obviously, and we were able to continue to offer these cuts that you just can't find anywhere else. So with us, it all starts at the farm, and sustainability is one of our most important things that we stay behind, because without the farms, then we're not going to have meat. So first, we need to take care of the land. And also, by taking care of the land, what we do is... We have to raise these animals in a different way than we do in conventional farming. So we go back to the old ways a little bit, and we start bringing in some of the old way practices, which actually develop so much more flavor by letting the animal get exercise, by letting them forage. And then we fatten them up with a delicious grain mixture out on that pasture still. And then what it does is it gives us this incredible flavor that we've been able to develop over the time. So... We have this very long, drawn-out process that we're able to share with the entire continent of 48 now that we're super excited about. So now, what were some of the struggles at the beginning? Because I'm I'm sure you guys are getting some struggles now because that's just business. But what were some of the struggles at the beginning when you guys were like, when you first launched the full online shop? Did you get any kind of like... Not necessarily pushback from the community, but just that, like, not knowing what to do. Well, I think in anything, when we were at the farmer's market, when we opened our first store, when we launched online, every single step we take, what we're trying to do is create a better product at the outcome. And a lot of what makes Porter Road a special place is that we are true meat. This is what we're passionate about. This is what we love. So we love interacting and teaching people. So one of the biggest struggles has been learning how to teach people in each one of those different manners. Because at the farmer's market, obviously, it's going to be our easiest step to continue to teach people because a lot of those people are teaching us as well. Because if you're taking that extra trip and going to the farmer's market, you're already taking the extra step. So then when we open the brick-and-mortar butcher shop – We actually started interacting with different crowds of people. 
So it's left less of those, you know, food ink type of mentality people and more of the, you know, common people that just want a great, delicious steak. So then it was educating them on why this is a premium product. Why does it cost a little more than if I go to the grocery store? Isn't a ribeye a ribeye? Isn't a brisket a brisket? Fact of the matter is, is it might be the same muscle structure, but it's not the same thing. Because then you can go into the difference of how is it fed? How is it raised? How does the farmer take care of it? How is it slaughtered? Is yep. it dry aged? Is it wet aged? Do we do, what do we do with it after it? How are we cutting it? How are we packing it? All of those things Porter Road takes into account, and we go deeper and deeper into it. And then we went even a step farther and went online. So we just really pushed, put ourselves out there. And the struggle has been continuing how to evolve and continue how to teach the more customers that we get to interact with, because the more we can educate the consumer, the more they can enjoy the delicious meatiness of our hard labors. Because at Porter Road, going back to all of those, we make sure it's pasture raised to make sure the animals as healthy as possible and flavorful as possible. We make sure they're grass fed, but grain finished. So that way they have a nice fat marbling because that's what we enjoy as the American palate. And then after that, we make sure they're slaughtered as humanely as possible so they're not stressed out. And those adrenaline is not going into the meat. And then we dry age it, never wet age it, because we feel that dry aging helps evaporate it out, helps that enzyme to continue to work and tenderize it up, and then just makes it more flavorful because it has less moisture in it, so it's going to be a more uh, intense product. And then beyond that, we hand-cut everything with skilled butchers to make sure we're just not cutting through things with saws, ripping those muscle fibers, exposing them to oxygen that they don't need to. And then we make sure we ship it as fresh as possible and never freeze our steaks, so that way we don't affect the actual cells of it and release that moisture that should be left in your steak and then put it in the bag. So every process we do, what we're trying to think about is how do we make the most delicious dinner? No matter if it's a Tuesday night spaghetti night or it's New Year's Eve's whole tenderloin roast that we're serving with a nice, you know, bourbon sauce. Every meal should be epic and Porter Road wants to be there to help you along the way. So where where would you say is the crate? Like when you got like this order, like you got the craziest shipping order, where's the craziest kind of order you guys have gotten from? Uh, my personal favorite still to this day is Hot Dog Man. Um, that's what we refer to him as. He is a gentleman down in uh, Texas. And he ordered a few packs of our hot dogs. So our hot dogs are not just a regular hot dog. Um, Chris and I developed this recipe pretty young into Porter Road. And it's an all-beef dog stuffed into a natural lamb casing. And it's just like tons of garlic. Um, It's smoked over local cherry wood. It's a little bit longer than a bun, so your first and last bite are both just hot dog. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a labor of love. It's a special hot dog. And this guy started ordering a few packs here and there. And then we had an order for like 32 of them. And in the little notes section, it says, this is not a mistake. 
I went around my office and collected $10 from everyone and made them buy these hot dogs. And then it happened <laughs> again and again and again. And I just loved the fact that somebody out in this world, who I may never meet, but I always I love you, hot dog man. Uh, somebody I'll never meet went out, took a bite of my hard work that Chris and I have been working so hard on, and said, holy ass, this is amazing, and went to work and told at least 32 people, hey, you got to give me $10 and try these hot dogs. Because and they did. Here's the hard thing. He convinced them to do it. Because, <laughs> exactly. you know, telling somebody about something is one thing. When you, like, come up to somebody and you're like, listen – I love this product. It's so good. Blah, 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 blah. It's this. It's that. That's one thing. Okay. That is one. When you go out, when you go as far as getting somebody to give you money for them to try this product, that's when it's epic. That's it. It melted my heart. That's why I still hot dog, man. It's, <laughs> So, it's great. You know, and no, and you we, need those we, kind of people, man. You need those kind of people to make to make everything work, right? Absolutely. Well, I mean, those are the people. So Porter Road has been uh, a very small, uh, organically grown cult brand in Nashville. So if you were into food and you were into cooking, you knew about Porter Road. And, you know, Saturday, it was the booming place. We may have had a drink or two at the butcher shop, and there were people hanging out, and there was people talking to me, and we were talking about what we're going to cook and how we're going to do it and all the epic stuff. And we want that to live on online for Porter Road with the butcher shop through social media, by bringing everybody together because there, there is people out there that love to talk about how amazing this hot dog was. Yeah. And willing to pay the extra premium, the fact that somebody sat there and hand-twisted this hot dog and then took it and put it over Tennessee cherry wood, smoked it, cooled it, clipped it, packed it. You know, it's something that's – it's a labor of love. And if people want to make every meal epic, like I said earlier, we want to be there with you. Okay, so now now here's the question. Because I think – and we've touched upon this on other podcasts and, and we've, we've talked to different people about this kind of stuff. And I, and I love getting everyone's own opinion on this because I think it's a very important thing and I do believe it changes per person and what they're looking for. But my question is very, very simple. Most people don't understand meat. Most people don't understand the grading of meat. Most people don't understand what they're actually getting and what they're putting into their bodies. So my question is very, very simple. Where should people start? Well, so this is one of my favorite topics of conversation, especially if you have a few drinks in there. (laughs) because it's such a simple thing that why is it so complicated and so difficult for humans to do the one thing that everybody has to do, and that's nourish ourselves. There's so much confusion behind it. And, you know, sometimes 
red meat will kill you and sometimes it's good for you. Is red wine good for you? Is it bad for you? Is saturated fat good for you? Is, bad? is butter good? Is butter bad? And everybody just wants to look for the miracle cure. And the fact of the matter is, is follow your taste buds. And if you can get food that tastes delicious with minimal altercation or minimal preparation, then you're on the right track to being healthier and enjoying eating more. So when you go into the scheme of it, a lot of the labeling that you see of stuff doesn't regulate that much. And what it really does regulate doesn't matter in the most of it. So one of the big issues first is that people quit cooking at home. So Porter Road really encourages people to cook at home. Because when you cook at home, there's going to be a lot of wonderful things that happen. First off, you're going to make it taste exactly how you want it. So you're not going to complain. You're going to make exactly what you want with the ingredients you want. Well, well hold and then on, wait, also, wait. You're going to try to make exactly what you want. Believe me, I've had people that have tried to make exactly what they want, and it doesn't always come out that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'll happen. Like sometimes, especially when you like go deep into it, and you try to you know smoke a brisket for 12 hours. Yep. You're going to mess it up from time to time, but you always just have to be able to adjust and, you know, have a backup plan. Like if you mess up your brisket and you overcook it, just chop it up and throw it in some beans and let it cook for another half an hour and you got a really amazing chili. You know, you can always have a backup plan. Um, but, you know, it gives you the opportunity to experiment and play with things and, you know, Cooking is on so many levels great because it brings, hopefully it brings people together. Hopefully you're not just doing it just for yourself every single night because then making portions of one gets old pretty quick. So I always overcook and invite everybody I know over. That's oh, usually mine. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I am bad at doing that um, in the sense that I will super overcook. And even when I invite people over, I'm like, cool, who's taking shit home? Because <laughs> it's like, how many people did you cook for? 47? How many people came? Four? <laughs> well, you got to make sure you have enough food, you know? Yeah, but if everybody you know happens to come at once, you got to make sure you have enough. Sometimes portion sizing isn't my strong suit. Yeah. Well, then you just get to get even more creative with leftovers. So, especially when it's barbecue, because then you get to go in the realm of like, chilies or Brunswick stews or breaking things down even farther, which is never really a bad thing. That's true. That is very, very true. There's never a bad thing. So now my next question is going to lead into this. When somebody's looking at me, what should they look for? So when somebody's looking at meat, I mean, it all depends on what species we're looking at. And this kind of goes back to the last question we were talking about of, you know, what does it all mean and what should we look for? And they kind of go together. They do very much and so. Really what it all stems down to is find a supplier that you trust, find a supplier that you like, and then go with what they have to offer. And if it's not your favorite, go with brands that are like it. And 
when you go, say you walk into a grocery store and you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the best product that we're going to find in that situation? If you're looking at meat on styrofoam trays, you're probably already doing yourself a disservice at that point because most likely because of the cost associated with quality meat, most of the time large retail chains are going to carry less quality but more price-sensitive products. Of course. So you're going to be much better off going into a butcher shop or finding an amazing online butcher shop like Fortyroad.com. And with, with that, what you want to do is look for different indicators that your product is going to be better off. So like we talked about a little bit earlier, a dry age product, in my personal opinion, is going to have more flavor and be a more tender product. Um, so that way, um, most of the time when you go into a grocery store, you're not going to find a, a dry age product. And some grocery stores will carry it. Very few do, though. I can understand. That. Yes, and more of your specialty grocery stores, your organic grocery stores, your big box grocery—you know—those yeah. type of places may have it. And then also, what you want to look for is any indicator of the animal's life that was going on. And unfortunately, most of the time, prime choice select. Uh, natural, most of those things don't say anything about the animal's life going into it. And the only reason we want to talk about the animal's life is because the more natural life and the more the animal gets a chance to live outside, the more chance it has to exercise, which is going to develop the muscles more, which is going to develop more flavor, which in the long run, once it hits our plate, is going to make us more happy. So we want to make sure if there's any indicators of pasture-raised, grass-fed, any of those type of indicators that will say this animal actually had room to exercise and develop its muscle and develop more flavor. I think Um, think it's a big difference. I mean, when the the animal's able to move around, it's able to walk around, um, the the flavor's just way different. Yeah, and it's, you know, like our pigs live in the woods, which it's pretty amazing that the pigs are forested to begin with, which is just fun to think about, because then you think of more more of like a wild boar situation. But what it does is it develops this incredible flavor, and outside hogs actually grow more fat on the outside of them because they're living more out in the elements. So whenever you have an outside hog, especially our heritage breed cross hogs that we sell, it's just going to have this intensely dark meat and huge fat cap over it. Granted, we trim it to where it's a very appropriate quarter inch, and that way your chop is nice and juicy once you cook it. So really what you're looking for is indicators of the co- trusting the company that you're buying it from, dry-aged, pasture-raised, and then we always prefer the no antibiotics and no hormones, 
because anything that's going to make an animal grow faster and not actually have to live like an animal, um, so fight off its own bugs, do things like that, is going to hinder it from developing more flavor and becoming more of the species that it is. So making a pork more porky, making a beef more beefy, uh, letting a chicken scratch around on the grass, eat bugs, eat blades of grass while eating its corn supplement, but it's going to make it have more of that chickeniness to it. So long and short of that, trust your supplier. Go to porter.com. That's really it. <laughs> if you can't find it, you can because you're connected to the internet, clearly. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, like, and, you know, we, we are not the end all be all. We are trying to come up with a solution for people that don't have another option. But people who do have a great local butcher shop that supports local small farms, more power to you. You know, support them. And if they don't have what you're looking for, come come to us. But know where it's coming from, know how it's raised, know how it's slaughtered, and know how it's aged and butchered. And, and it doesn't mean you have to become a professional of it, but by simply asking and them having a answer. They could be speaking complete gibberish to you. But if they tell you it comes from a farm, here's a little bit of information about it, you're on the right path. And if you guys do want to try it out, guys, if you want to try out Porter Road, um, type in Man Meat Barbecue BBQ at the end at checkout. It will save you some money. Um, it's something that they're that they're so gracious to give us is give our listeners a little bit of a promo code and help them out, save a little bit of money, and try them out. Uh, but the products are the products really are fantastic. We did get get some of them sent to us. The tri tip looks fantastic. I have not fully. Um, devoured the whole thing yet, but um, it is fantastic. The beef hot dogs, they have this amazing pop, and it, it, it's that natural casing, and I know that's exactly what it is, but it, it's it's super hard to beat that. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just something like, if I can get a natural casing on a hot dog, like, I'm a, I'm a happy fucking human, let me tell you. And so little <laughs> few people, so little places do that. So it's just, it's so amazing to be able to get that. Well, people don't know what they're missing until they experience what a true hot dog is. Very true. And Very once true. people let themselves enjoy every meal and make every meal epic, and even if it's a hot dog on a bun... On a Wednesday night, you can have the most epic hot dog on a bun and make it the greatest Wednesday night ever. Yeah, I mean it, it, they they're they're fantastic. They really are. And if, if you're if you're if you're bringing friends over just to have kind of just a fun little night and you don't want to go crazy in that sense, you know what I mean? You don't want to go over preparing or not not go over preparing, but like. You don't want to cook a, a whole dinner. You just want to do like hot dogs and fries. Dude, they're still epic hot dogs. One of my favorite moves for that situation, people are dropping by. I always like to keep our kielbasa links in my freezer. Okay. So that way you just throw them low on a skillet when they get over there. Our kielbasa is five simple, delicious ingredients. Our wonderful pasture-raised pork, salt, Tons of garlic, black pepper, and fresh oregano. And that's it. 
And that's it. Just see, but see, I, I like the simplicity. I think sometimes, sometimes it's over. People overthink things, and like one of the things that I, I come across so much is people that go, you know, I make my own rub. I do this. I do that, and I'm like, awesome. That's fantastic. And they're like, I put 57 ingredients into it. And I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm not making mole here. No, but you know what I mean? It's like, why? And I'm not, I'm, I'm over obviously exaggerating that, but it's like so many people are like, oh, I do this, I do that. I put this in. It's the dilution effect. What they're doing like, is starting with very flavorless commodity big box chain meat. So it has zero flavor to begin with. And if you're taking a pork shoulder that after you smoke it for hours, it's going to taste like pulled chicken. What you have to do is start to trick your brain into thinking that that pork butt has flavor. So you put in your 52 ingredients and then you inject it with butter and then you add beef bouillon cube to it and then rub it down with coffee because you're trying to add something hey hey don't don't hit on the butter okay <laughs> no, no, no no i am a huge fan of butter don't get me wrong do not get me wrong but what i'm saying is when you start with a better tasting product you're not going to have to do as much that doesn't mean a butter based piece of meat isn't delicious i never said that because a <laughs> butter based steak is amazing but it just adds it and intensifies it. But when you start with a flavorful piece of meat, like something that's raised outside, it's much easier to get a delicious product. Right? It changes just a little bit. Yeah. Now, do you find when you guys are doing like your pork ribs, are you yielding this? Uh, are you yielding kind of more on that in the sense of like? I know that sometimes people will say, you know, like, well, those those um, pigs that move around more, they're not quite as fat, so the ribs quite aren't as fat. Do you, do you find that to be any, any true? No, that is a completely false statement. Okay. Um, 100% of the time, indoor hogs are much leaner than outdoor hogs. And commodity hogs, so the four-way cross that most indoor hog houses use, they usually bring them to slaughter weight around 220, 240. We bring our uh, heritage breed cross, so we do a Berkshire Duroc cross. We bring them to slaughter weight around 300 pounds to make sure that we have enough of that fat. And then we use all that fatty trim to make sure our sausage is moist and delicious as well. Okay. Okay. Now, let me ask you this question. People usually don't understand gratings of pork. Could you yeah. help? Could you help explain that a little bit? The reason I'm asking is you, you, clearly you know a lot about your meat. You know a lot about what you're doing, and I feel like pork is such a difficult thing to explain to people. Um, some some guys that are, you know, some of us that that are listening to this podcast, some of you guys understand your gratings of pork. You you understand the Duroc grading and not not grading because it's not necessarily a grading, but um, classification. Exact. Thank you. 
you understand the um you know that there is some marbling through that and it, it looks different and it produces a different product for you you know at the end of the day yes. it gives you something different but i think so many people because there's like your average common consumer does not understand the difference grading in pork yeah, well, it also, you know, like we were talking about earlier, goes about back to the grading of beef or labeling or what is all of it, where once again, if you trust your supplier, you're going to get a better product in the outcome because whether when I was talking about our pigs and the crosses and all that, whether I'm speaking gibberish to you, no, I am a knowledgeable, cons- I am a knowledgeable purveyor that is passionate about what he does. So I'm most likely not going to steer you wrong. And when we talk about the classifications of pork, what you're talking about is the breeds most of the time. So when we talk about a heritage pork, you're talking about very specific bloodlines of pork that came from specific places across the world. And those were around for certain areas raised to the specifications of wherever those people liked it. And then what we did is about 20 years ago, people tried to start to save these heritage breeds, just like they did with heritage seeds um, and different things to make sure that the delicious, flavorful animals and produce that we had of years past didn't just fall wayside to yield producing monsters that we're used to today. So when we refer to a Duroc or a Berkshire, we're talking about very specific pigs and a Berkshire is a very long, big loined, so big pork chop eye pig that does very well outside. And then a Duroc is a very woolly, a humpback, short, fat pig that has a little eye. So when we crossed them, what we were hoping for was a big, fat, big-eyed pig. And about (laughs) 85% of the time, that's what we get. But because everything we do is natural, that 15% of the time, you know, we have to get creative with what we're going to do with the pork chops and different options. And that's when... The joy of being completely vertically integrated in a company like ours that owns our own slaughterhouse and works directly with the farmers, we can do special cuts, one-off cuts, different things. That's why you want to join our mailing list because when we cut tomahawks, that's where they go. Double cut pork chops, that's where they go. When we learn about a new steak and then we want to scream it to the world, that's that's where you find out about all that stuff. So grading classification, what it really ends up being is, once again, how the pig is raised. Because you can take a Duroc, that fat pig I was telling you about, put it inside, put it into a concentrated animal feed operation, and it will inevitably, after a few generations, be very similar to what you have uh, at the grocery store. So that marbling will come through with genetics, but a lot of it is developed by the lifestyle, the exercise, and the feed rations of the animal. Well, the crazy thing about pork, pigs are crazy kind of they, – they change and they, they're, they're very adaptable animals. Yeah. Super adaptable animals, and I, I don't think people quite understand that. One generation, it takes an indoor hog 
to start to grow fur and grow its tusks back. So it takes one generation of a modified indoor hog to go back to its natural wild state. Which I don't know take, if is there any other animal that's that quick? No, no, it's insane. And pigs are incredibly smart. They are such cool animals. And that's why the way that modern pork is raised in cave house should really be legal. Because there's always the great dilemma of should we, shouldn't we, whenever there's the meat conversation. Yep. The fact of the matter is, is we are. It's going to happen. You're never going to get everybody to stop doing it. So the conversation shouldn't be should we or shouldn't we. The conversation should be we need to do it the right way. Just like everything in this world, we need to get our heads out of our asses and start to figure out how are we going to be responsible stewards of this earth. And that involves the animals around us. And we need to, if we're going to raise them for slaughter, we need to give them the respect of a reasonable life out in a much more natural state. And the added benefit of giving an animal a life of less misery and more natural being makes them taste better. So it's a win-win process. Now, why do you think it's so hard for people to understand that? Because people don't want to hear about their pork chops living and breathing. Okay. So the conversation has to start with, we are killing an animal. Yeah, that is true. It's going to shock people and people are going to be aghast by it. But unless if we open our eyes, pull back the curtains and say, this is what's going on, you can't say, holy shit, that's disgusting. I want to go with a company like Porter Road. I don't want to go with those people. Because until you can actually see what's going on and until you dive deep into it and become an educated consumer, you're not going to know. And there's only so many times that, you know, there's going to be an animal rights feed that is able to put a video that goes on everybody's Facebook feeds. Because Yeah, it is what it is. Uh Yeah. And I mean, like... Yes, those situations should be stopped. We should be able to have the conversation. But ultimately, just like everything in this world, the only thing that's going to change is by voting. And the ultimate vote is by making the choice with your dollar. So, yeah, a pork chop might be a dollar more expensive on a website like Porter Road. But that dollar changes the world in so many ways. That is very, very true. That is very true. The dollar, the dollar can change. It can change just so, like... It, and I didn't mean to get super deep and super philosophical. I mean, I liked it. The podcast. I mean, I liked it. At the end of the day, what Porter Road is all about and the main mission is to make sure that everybody's meal is as good as it can be. And we feel, starting with a good piece of meat... Starting with a little bit of knowledge, I mean, people listening to this podcast are already one step ahead of everybody else. I think the knowledge is so care. big. Knowledge is so, yeah. and, and a lot of the, a lot of these guys do a lot. A lot of our listeners, I, I, I think that they care. They care what kind of you know what kind of meat they're they're kind of using and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's very important to them to get that um, to get that higher quality of meat. And now I want to ask you this question. It's something that I've been really like 
thinking about a lot lately, and I don't know, I don't know why, but um, I think it could be just because I, I do care about our industry and what everyone does and the barbecue, you know, lifestyle and all that. And I feel like everyone's really starting to get really consumed with the word Wagyu. And I feel like it's being thrown around and not enough people understand what the fuck it means and why they're paying more for that product. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's almost, it's almost like a cop out for people right now to charge more. Just say, I'm going to throw Wagyu in front of it. They're not going to ask and they're going to go with it. I hope that nobody in our industry would do that. But unfortunately, there's always bad apples in every bunch. Um, so Wagyu is a breed of yep. beef. Yep. So it is uh, genetically inclined to have more marbling than other breeds of beef. So the one we most commonly hear about is Angus because the Angus board has done a wonderful job on promoting itself. But once again, the fact of the matter is if beef aged correctly, uh, or not aged, raised correctly, um, could end up looking delicious, really no matter what it is. I've seen, you know, some British whites that are just huge beasts of animals marble out like it was Wagyu. It was just raised really well and it was older than your average slaughter beef. But with that being said, so what it is, is it, it marbles out more. So what that means is it has more intermuscular fat. So it's going to be a fattier piece of meat that's sliced through with all this fat. So it's generally more tender because of the marbling. So when we barbecue it or grill it or cook it, um, it's going to have a better mouthfeel. It's going to be creamier. It's going to be sweeter because of that fat. Um, but once again, it all depends on how it's raised. Where is it from? What is it eating? How old is it? All of those things will come into effect. And just like anything in life, big business can come through and ruin everybody's fun and take something that is meant to be wonderful, like a term organic, and then take it and just try to make as much money off possible off of it. Um, well, I feel so, like the, the organic word is it, it, it's almost it's almost misleading in many cases. Um, well, yeah, because everything's organic. It's organic matter. Yeah. So, like, even a conventional, I'm doing air quotes for everybody. Yep. Um, is organic, but. Yeah, it's a very, it's a term that was brought around with very well-meaning ideas that somebody figured out how to how to fuck with walk the line very fine and make a lot of money off of it. Basically, and fuck with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and wagyu can be amazing. It can be this special occasion type of thing, but. It doesn't take a massive amount of fat in a brisket to make a brisket delicious. It just makes 
or takes it makes it easier to hit that mark. Yeah, it sure as hell helps. Don't get don't get me wrong. Yeah, I mean it definitely helps. And you know, like people have figured out, hey, if I use a fattier cut of beef, it's gonna work out better. Yes, that is true. But we can also take a little bit leaner of a brisket and make it even more delicious because all the only thing you're you're gonna taste a lot more than just fat. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to so, taste that beef. I mean, and the and the fat fat definitely, you know, definitely is flavor in the sense that it's going to melt into that meat and tenderize and flavor. Not, I'm sorry, not tenderize, but but flavorize that meat. Oh yeah, the first thing they teach you in culinary school: fat is flavor. Yeah, it's real easy. If it doesn't have fat on it, put a stick of butter on it. It'll taste great. Well, um, I think I think it's hilarious. Um, that's one of the things that I get asked a lot of is when, when my friends come over and they act, they come over and we cook and we do all that kind of stuff. And I'll have people like that come from that were, you know, that live out of town and they'll come hang out and they're like, man, your food tastes differently. Why? And I go, cause I use butter. <laughs> cause I use real fat. You know what I mean? Like, wh- but why does it taste different? Cause I use butter. Yeah. Yeah, you're not you're not using like express or expressed, you know, like corn oil, vegetable oil, no. all this stuff that's completely flavorless. Every time you're adding something, it's to intensify it and build up the flavor that you already started with. And I, th- I think that's yeah. something that like some people like have a very hard time, like it just being like, "What do you mean you use butter? I use butter." Like, a lot of it. You know what I mean? Like, Well, people are so scared of ingredients now because they're scared of cooking at home. But the fact of the matter is, is if you went out and had a you know, brisket plate at a chain restaurant, it's going to be ten times worse for you. And even if you stuck a stick of butter on that brisket for the final hour of it cooking. Like yeah. that brisket's still going to be better for you than what your other offerings going to be. And people need to get off the kick of reading an ingredient list because if you're cooking at home, the ingredients should be like one apple chopped up, one onion diced, you know. Well, I think it's scary. No most most people can't cook. Well, yeah. And I mean, the challenge is going to be, you know, people, people need to educate themselves. Listen to podcasts like this, you know, try to push yourself. And if you mess it up, you mess it up. I mean, it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it, it is what it is. And then don't be scared because the most simple thing, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, the most simple thing that we all have to do multiple times a day, everybody seems so confused about. Well, I think, I, I think a lot of it has to do with um, a lot of, a lot of people just didn't, didn't pick up those traits. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't pick that up from their parents. Yeah. And, I mean, well, and, it, was, it was convenient. It was latchkey, you know, it's just eighties and nineties kids. You know? it, it, exactly. And then some of us eighties and nineties kids who became, you know, cooks and chefs, um, we get looked at like fucking weirdos 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I always fucking because I'm the youngest bro- uh, brother of three. So my two older brothers made me start cooking for them. And I was like, oh, this is actually pretty fun. Yeah. So. Well, I think I think it's weird because in, in this like huge or ordeal and, and del- or, or not ordeal, but in this huge like realm of the 80s and 90s, kind of th- this weird transition happened where it was like it cooking wasn't something that was taught. But at the same time, like celebrity chefs became a fucking thing. You know what I mean? It, well, yeah. It became cool to be – it became cool to cook though. You know, before it, came, it was like, oh, you cook for a living? Like it, was, it wasn't as prestigious. And now lately even it, it, it's still it's still a cool thing where people are still like, oh, you're a chef? Like in the 80, 80s – in the late 80s it was starting to become cool. Uh, 90s it, it started becoming kind of like nerdy cool. And then to early 2000s, I think it kind of – it was there, but it wasn't as prevalent. And I think recently with Instagram, with people showing off what they're cooking, how they're cooking it and all that stuff, it's becoming really, really cool to be a fucking chef. Yeah. Well, I mean – And then that word gets thrown around way too fucking easily, just like the word pitmaster yeah. gets thrown around way too fucking easily. Yeah. If you if you have a bunch of briquettes and a Weber, you're called a pitmaster. But I graduated from culinary school and people started calling me chef and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I got many years ahead of me before I get that title. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it, it, I don't know if you – do you ever do you ever follow True Cooks on Instagram? No. It's, it's a really cool thing. Go look, go look up True Cooks. Um, it's just one of those things where they're like, has Yes Chef died? And I'm like, not in some kitchens. <laughs> yeah. And I have a lot of good friends that are really fantastic chefs here in Chicago. And man, dude, it, 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 it's like, are they a good chef? Absolutely. Are, are they, are they rough on you in the kitchen? Absolutely. But they have to be. And I think that's something that you guys are almost, you guys have this, like Porter Road has this rawness to it, which I think is super cool. I feel like you're bringing the, like you said, you're bringing the butcher shop front and center, which is super cool. Um, and people are starting to understand that and they're starting to see, and you're bringing it online for them, which is even like just i mean there's a couple companies that are selling beef online but you guys are by far doing all of it kind of incorporating an actual butcher shop not just your um you know your wagyu providers which there are a lot of cool ones um and uh we we've had some cool chats with some of them but it it's one of those things where you guys are you're you're bringing the story and you're showing it all off and what I want to ask you right now, which which is kind of where I want to go with it, is do you feel that that's where a lot more people are going? Because you do see a lot more farms wanting to go straight to consumer. A lot more people trying to not go into, you know, your grocery store. And I feel like some some of the butchers haven't, like some of the butcher shops haven't caught on yet, at least at least over here, they haven't caught on yet. There's still kind of that old school mentality where you guys are bringing in that new school with, with going online and doing all that. Do you see that kind of, do you think people are going to kind of almost push away from big box stores ever? Well, I think there's, there's a revolution on many fronts. There's first and foremost, a flavor revolution. And I think a lot of people kind of broke out of the mold and, there was in the 2000s the peak of 
processed and chain stores and you know mid to high level and it was that was what everything did and people started breaking out and saying i'll take the extra stop and go to the farmer's market and buy those strawberries from my favorite farmer at the peak of the season or i'll take the extra stop and go to the bakery to make sure i have a loaf when i break it open the aroma just knocks me over Which and is so same different thing than like anything else like good bread it's a oh. it's a new experience and most people just you know white bread is not bread nor should we be okay with eating something that can sit on the shelf for 6 months and not mold like <laughs> We deserve, as citizens of the United States of America, we deserve the right to have flavor. No matter who we are across the country, no matter where we come from, we deserve the right to delicious flavor. And even if that's as simple as a delicious baguette, that's where we should start. And I think the flavor revolution really started kicking it in and people saying, you know what? I'm not okay with getting everything I can get at one store. And, you know, even now you can go to your big box stores and, you know, you can buy your grass seed, your mulch, your shotgun, your groceries and your new underwear all in one store. You know, uh, I make, I make, I, but, I make a big let me. I'm gonna say this very, very nicely, and I say it to people all the time. I make a big, big stand against buying my underwear and my meat in the same building. <laughs> As you should, because most likely, or, I'm sorry, could be. Or I guess I shouldn't say the same building because if it's like a strip mall, I guess they could be in the same building yeah, per yeah. se. But I guess from the same cashier. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think with the flavor revolution, it gave people like us an opportunity because like when we came out and, you know, it's funny to think about if Porter Road opened up 50 years earlier in 1960, nobody would have given a hoot or batted an eye because it would have been a butcher shop. Woohoo, congratulations, you're a butcher shop. But because in 2010, when we opened up, it was something that was like so unheard of. And it was only in New York and L.A. and Chicago. And it's just crazy to think about somebody who is a specialist and cares about meat is such a novelty. So what I think that is kind of too crazy coming from like a coming from a big city like Chicago, man, you know, the, the the butcher places are going away. The packing houses are kind of like they can't afford to be where they were because all the yuppies want to go live in them. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> true. But you guys, you guys have places like Butcher and Larder and Publican Quality true. Meats yes. with people that like truly care. You know, Rob Levitt is a master of meat and he has taught me a lot and I look up to him as a mentor and, you know, places like New York had Fleshers and, you know, there were all yeah. of these spots going up and we kind of opened up right after them. So people were saying, you know, oh, there's another option rather than the styrofoam sheet that I'm so used to. I can get a steak cut thicker than three quarters of an inch. 
And it's like, yeah, I'll cut it whatever size you want. It's a novelty, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then I think there was also not only the flavor revolution, what gave people like us the opportunity to get going, it was, once again, the revolution of, I'm not okay with the status quo. I'm not okay with the practices of how they're raised, how they're slaughtered, what they're doing. And, you know, the practice of if we want an all grass-fed product, um, what are what are the ramifications of it? You know, like, can we feed enough people off of purely grass-fed? What are the flavor advantages, disadvantages that you get with it? And what we've done at Porter Road is – thought long and hard about all the paths that we had to do. And what we do every day is continue to have to figure out how to give our customers the best product every single day. And we wake up and we accomplish our mission if we were better than yesterday. That's true. You know, that is, that is very true. I I think what you guys are doing, you guys are kind of, I kind of feel like we're almost at the same revolution that like beer Beer was at in like ninety four. Yeah, you know what I mean. Hey, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you used to just it was the choice between Coors, Miller, and Budweiser, and that was like the hard decision. And like you said, ninety three, early nineties, mid nineties, late nineties, we had this revolution of flavor, and people said, "Wait, you know, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, so I'm never going to say anything bad." About my Budweiser, because because you were born and raised. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. Uh, but with that being said, you know there is this opportunity to have an American lager, and to have it so in depth and so flavorful that you can taste these different notes and these different layers. You know, an American lager that's made out of actual wheat rather than rice like Budweiser is made out of now. Um, but, yeah, having the flavor revolution, getting people into it, you know, even with whiskey and coffee and a chocolate. Things, absolutely. And, a lot of And people realize, like, hey, maybe if I buy a better quality of it, I'm going to eat less of it because I'm going to be more satisfied with a minimal amount and I'm going to enjoy life way better. Well, I mean, look at look at beef in, in, in a very easy stance. If you eat a fattier piece of beef, you are fuller faster, you eat less, it tastes better. And All of those is, true statements. And, they, and there, there is some argument, and there is some scientific argument, that the omega-3s in beef are good for you. There is. So when you add grass and hay into the mix, you can get a much better balance. So even if you have a purely grass-fed beef, the best ratio you're going to get is a 2-to-1 omega-6 to omega-3. So what we do in our body, just like in most things in the universe, we try to get a balance of it. So you want a 1-to-1 omega-6 to omega-3 ratio in your body. But what we do with our modern diets is completely throw it off and give ourselves a whole bunch of omega-6s and not enough omega-3s. So if we actually let our animals that we're ingesting, our vegetables that we're ingesting, grow and be raised in a much more healthy, natural environment, so they can pull more of those nutrients and more of those healthy fats out of the grasses that they're eating, out of the new, whatever it is they're eating, we're going to end up being healthier in the long run. 
it's this crazy concept that we learn when we're really little that applies today. What you put into it is what you'll get out of it. And it comes true with the animals that we eat as well. Oh, fucking crazy. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing what Such people a told difficult you when you were concept. like five years old that remains so fucking true today. That you never, that most people don't fucking use. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. But we don't listen when we're five. We don't listen when we're 25. And we're probably not going to listen when we're 45. Exactly. It's when you're like 85 and you're almost dead that you're like, you know what? I'm going to listen. <laughs> well, yeah. You want somebody else to listen to you at that point. But then point. you're too you're senile. Like, I should have listened. listened. Yeah, but then you're too and senile to get listen. your point across. And then we're all fucked. Exactly, you know. It's just a vicious cycle. So let's eat some good meat and enjoy life while we can. So now, if if you had to say, what is your favorite cut of meat? So this question, I feel like, is a trick question for me. Because that's saying, like, which child is your favorite child? Um, and, like, on which day is your favorite child your favorite child? Because something as simple as a roasted chicken could be my favorite cut of meat if it's a cold winter day with snow on the ground. So it depends on what it is because I don't feel like there's a bad cut of meat. There is a bad preparation for certain cuts of meat, but I don't feel like there's a bad cut because like as much as I love a ribeye, I'm not going to throw it in a crock pot and make a braise out of it. Don't throw anything but, in a crock pot. Well, sometimes the braise is like the most amazing thing. And a crock pot could be a very good tool. You take a pork pot, you know, a can of tomato, can of beans, and then go skiing down the slopes for the day and then come back and you have like tacos. It's pretty cool. Crock pots can be very useful. Yeah, they keep things warm mm-hmm. for me. They do keep things warm. They keep your nacho cheese dip at a nice dipping temperature. Exactly. During the sports ball game that you will be watching. Exactly. The, the cheese dip's fantastic in them. Um, yeah. Well, we make this chorizo that we sell on our website that makes an amazing queso dip that we have the recipe on the website for that would be very good um, to watch the Rams win the Super Bowl this year. Hey, I, you Just said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, I was born in California, raised in St. Louis. I've been a Rams fan since I was born. You saw it all over it. It's been about 13 years since they were good, so pretty excited this year. Hey, you know, it's uh, there's always a year for everybody. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Bears years this year, but that's okay. Now, no, but hey, they did good. They, they did came good. Out strong. They did good. I'm gonna give them that. They did good. Um, now. Let me ask you this question, and this is where we're going to kind of we, we kind of wrapped into the pod to the end of the podcast. So I want to say a thank you for coming on the podcast and hanging out with us. Um, B, thank you for sharing your knowledge of meat because it's extremely extremely large, um, and it's crazy that we've already kind of chatted for an hour. We'll have to have you back on and chat more. Uh, but I kind of like ending this podcast with if you had to go back to the beginning of your. I'm going to say food career. Normally we say grilling, but let's say food career. If you had to give yourself three tips to help shorten up, shorten your learning curve to where you got to today, what would those three tips be? 
Well, first off, I want to say thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it, and I will gladly come back and nerd out on Meet With You whenever you will have me. Yes. Maybe one time up in Chicago, we can uh, have a little Windy City queue out. Come um, on down. Absolutely. Oh, come on but, up, because you're Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Three things that I wish I would have learned sooner. So I started my culinary career. Um, I started in the hospitality industry when I was 14 in a diner across the street from my house. And I served old ladies coffee on Saturday and Sunday morning. Because the government only lets you work during the weekends when you're 14. Yeah. Uh, But once I got into the kitchens and I was 16, I uh, was very into it. So I've always been really into food. And I wish just generally in life that somebody would have told me the how much fun learning actually is and to try and absorb it all because it took me until my early 20s to really start to read and enjoy absorbing knowledge and the amount of joy and pleasure you can get from reading a book the amount of knowledge that you can get from it is just amazing so definitely read and learn more would be one of them uh Keep your ears open and your mouth shut because I've been told on numerous occasions I talk a lot. And when you're an apprentice working for a certified master chef, um, it doesn't work out too well because they don't really fucking care about your opinion when you're there literally to wipe the plate. Yeah. So – Sometimes you just need to keep your mouth shut and your ears open because a lot of the times you'll be able to learn something. And probably the last thing I wish I would have learned earlier um, is that generally speaking, going to bed earlier and waking up earlier is going to put you in a better spot in life because a lot of great things don't happen late at night. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I'm not going to expand too far on that because <laughs> let's you know, be I'm a father now and I have a business, but... Nothing great happens at 3 in the morning. <laughs> exactly. And when you work with a staff of people that you work your asses off and you get done at night at 12 o'clock... And you go out. Um, and you gotta- and then you go out. <laughs> And then you go find the late night bar. Yep. And then you eat some questionable fast food. And then, you know, it's it might be fun for a little bit when you're young, but don't let it take over your life. Make sure that you are always bright eyed and bushy tailed in what you're doing. Unless you can be Anthony Bourdain and everything. Unless you can be Anthony Bourdain, that motherfucker could do it. but, But, you know. God rest his soul. The man was an amazing, incredible author, incredible journalist. But he didn't listen to that advice, and it unfortunately ended way too soon for him. Correct. Because the world still had so much to learn from that man, and the world, you know, the world owed him a lot. And it crumbled up and ate him because it is, yeah. he decided he wanted to stay up late and wake up late. It's true. So, the man is a legend, and we're sad that he's gone, but 
No, we're all no, definitely no, sad that he's gone. Definitely, no. it's a, it's a horrible culinary loss. Uh, but man, I, James, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I had an amazing time. If you can do me a favor, once again, tell everyone where they can follow. Um, obviously, Porter Road's journey online, and then where they can find if they want to follow your personal journey, also. Absolutely. So f- always come visit us at porterroad.com to get your delicious meats. Check out our new recipes and our blog posts. Follow us on social media at Porter Road on Instagram. Uh, follow our stories. Please tag us when you come up with some great epic creations. If you want to follow the actual butcher shop, it's at PR Butcher. Or if you want to follow me and my cooking escapades, it's at James the Butcher on Instagram. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much. We had a great time, and we're definitely going to have to have you back. You're a wealth of knowledge. (laughs) Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. I always love nerding out with a fellow meat nerd.